No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, uh, this one was kind of last minute. Um, of course, we had to bend to the will of the inpatient Brett um, for this one. You know, he, he decided to ask me a couple hours ago, hey, right now, let's do it. And I said, no, it'll have to wait. Because uh, I literally just got home from a 26-hour shift, and uh, yeah, um, it's a big, a bit hectic of a morning, uh, but it will be worth it because uh, we have a special guest on for this show, which is Luke Hartman. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me again, Dave. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, though I can't take the credit for that one. It was definitely uh, uh, a Brett uh, um, reaching. Either you guys just mutually decided to do the show or he reached out to you. I'm not sure which of the two, but I definitely can't take credit either way. Yeah, no, either but, way, uh, thank you so much again. <laughs> after after working yeah. a long shift, geez, I can't even imagine 26 hours straight. Like, God bless you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you get used to it after a while. Um, so, and of course, uh, you know, consolation prize, I suppose. We have Brett on as well. Uh, and if you have not read the description, I highly suggest doing so. It will give you an insight of what this show is uh, going to be talking about. Um, plus, there might be a little Easter egg of some sort in there for you. Um, but yeah, uh, Brett, thanks for... Uh, for setting this one up and coming up. Oh yeah, it's it's no problem. Um, I've been kicking around the idea of doing some independent content, um, just basically focusing on beginners. But Luke mentioned yesterday maybe we could just do a a, a spinoff of this show, and I, I think there's always room to uh, not necessarily split up per se, but there's definitely room to expand into like specialties that this show does. Um, the descriptions are pretty, the descriptions are pretty nice. So I think we're going to call this the watchers on the wall. And this is, this is going to be a segment that's focused primarily on new players, like beginners. And I, and I mean like brand new players. Now there's always something that, you know, veterans or mm, I, I, or more seasoned players could still learn a thing or two from this. Um, but the, the goal here is to really corral these new people and bring them in, help them get comfortable into the game, answer some of the questions that I don't think are necessarily answered by some podcasts. But this is kind of like a kick off your Song of Ice and Fire journey right here, starting with this. Yep, I think, uh, you know, uh, you can never really have too many uh, beginner, uh, like kind of like a, a beginner's episodes talking about players. Because um, 
you'd be surprised how um, even experienced players might be able to pick up a thing or two from a uh, you know from a beginner episode or beginner ta uh, tactics talks uh, because much like in almost every career you can think of in the world, um, you know, there's a basic fundamental, oh, man, sorry, something just popped up in front of my face. Um, <laughs> uh, just like any career, there's like a basic fundamentals that you learn to get started. And once you kind of start to uh, develop more more skills and more advanced techniques, sometimes people can lose sight of the fundamentals. And, uh, and the fundamentals is definitely where, you know, your, your base is, your foundation to, to what makes you a good player. And sometimes people lose sight of that. And I think sometimes going back to the basics, uh, you know, is the best way to, especially if you're, if you're stuck at a wall, you know, you you have like a, a mental block for uh, any strategic growth, um, then, you know, kind of going back to your basics sometimes can, uh, can help with that. But um, I'm going to do a couple things because, uh, like I said, I just got home. So I'm going to let uh, Brett kind of take it away for this one. I will be around. Brett, if you wanted to ask me something here or there to chime in, I will be listening. Uh, but otherwise, I'm going to let you two kind of, um, you know, kind of take it away for this episode. But with that said, I do want to mention one thing. I might have uh, a new player coming on as a guest. Um, he actually has his own channel uh, for other war games. I do apologize if he's listening. Uh, I forgot the name of the channel. Um, but he is a new player I just did a demo with at my shop, um, and he is super enthusiastic about the game. So I thought uh, having his perspective uh, would help out a lot. Um, he isn't on yet, but if he is on, I will uh, have him jump in uh, at a good moment. But, yeah, okay. all right, take it away, Brett. Okay, Luke. Luke, Luke, Luke. Nice hey, guy, Brett. Luke. <laughs> hey, I know that you've uh, I know that you've introduced yourself on – the episodes where we discuss the Gen Con slash U.S. Nationals 2022, but let's uh, let's start over a little bit because um, we're gearing this towards newer players. Um, who are you, Luke? Who is Luke Hartman? <laughs> oh, what a great question. Um, so let me just start with my actual gaming uh, experience. So I started out on tabletop miniatures when I was 12 years old. Uh, we had a games workshop store in our mall in Tennessee and walked by it and thought, wow, what in the world is that? Um, like I had seen model train sets before. I had seen like Civil War, you know, uh, reenactment dioramas. Um, but I had never seen a game where you would paint miniatures and actually play with them. And so I went in and I did the demo, you know, the Orcs and Goblins and the, the Empire. Like, golly, this was like sixth edition Warhammer Fantasy and instantly fell in love, uh, bought into the Lizardmen right then and there, and uh, played Warhammer Fantasy for, you know, almost a decade. Uh, and then when the game was canceled, um, I took a break, honestly, from, from gaming. I started playing some video games, some, like, League of Legends, some Total War, uh, but never really found anything that could scratch that itch again. You know, I, 
the nostalgia and the love that I had for Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, there was nothing else out there. And then uh, my buddy from the Air Force, uh, Brandon McDowell, uh, he goes by Brand the Bodybuilder on Discord and on uh, Song of Ice and Fire stats. Uh, he showed me this game not really knowing what I would think of it, um, but little did he know that I, you know, love the rank and flank uh, game style. That is right up my alley. That's my bread and butter. And just took two song away. Um, and let me just go ahead and pause right there before I keep going on about myself. Let me ask you, Brett, tell me about your gaming career. How you got started into gaming, what kind of games you've played, and, and how you got to where you are now. You know, I think it's probably not unsurprising, but um, like a number of war gamers, it all started with the the old G dubs. Like <laughs> the, it's basically for, for gamers. It's as recognizable as McDonald's Golden Arches, right? I mean, you probably know Warhammer. You've probably played it, but if you haven't, you've at least heard of it. I think it's very famous. It's it's something that got a, a lot of us gamers into this scene. So I got into it actually around the same age as you. I was around thirteen. Um, my really good friend had like he had the dope basement set up. His mom was a a realtor and she had like her office and stuff upstairs and the basement was his and it was so amazing. He had these massive tables, a big paint station. Like it was great. Uh we oh. could get and you know, when you're in middle school it's even cooler. Like I, I just I distinctly remember I was walking down into his basement, not even for any gaming purposes. And I had I met him because I played football. And so like I was on a visit for football and he brought me down to his basement and he had an orc just sitting on this table and I picked it up and he had, he had painted it, which is a remarkably good painter for a third, for a 13 year old. And I was like, what's this? He was like, Oh uh, yeah, you know, uh, don't worry about that. And kind of acted shy. Like I was going to make fun of him. And it was like, no dude, this is like amazing. This is awesome. What is this? And he was like, let me tell you about this game called Warhammer. And like, I was instantly hooked. He showed me around, he showed me all of his stuff. Uh, he was an orcs and goblins player, but he also had like a wood elf army and a skaven army. So we set up, did a demo and I was like, this is the greatest thing in life. And that's, that's how I got started in wargaming. Uh, I didn't play very seriously until eighth edition Warhammer. Um, unfortunately, by the time I got a grasp of things and started to win, tournaments i was uh it was the end of eighth edition and the world exploded so um i stayed out of gaming for a while and then i jumped into song of ice and fire the indie group was looking ever since the demise of eighth edition warhammer they were looking for a game to replace it they landed on this one and i think this was the one they threw at the wall and, and it stuck and i was resilient at first um but i finally did a demo of this game and i was hooked what it is and I took it I took everything that I wanted to do with Warhammer and have put it into this game all the traveling the tournaments all the time online gaming running my mouth everywhere forcing people to know who I am <laughs> all of that was meant for Warhammer initially but I'm so happy that it came to song because I love this game I love the community um, and I, I love the developers that we have actually super super cool guys 
Yeah, and it you know you bring up a good point too. When you started playing uh, Warhammer, um, about not having a grasp on the rules. You know, for the first three years that I played, I, I don't think we played a single game the way it was actually supposed to be played. <laughs> like uh, when you're a kid and you're you're getting a game or you're new to a game, like it, you know, some of those concepts are hard to grasp. Um, but we had a great time. Like we always have fun. Um, no matter what. And I think that, you know, when you talk about new players um, and how they take a grasp to the rules, you know, now that we're, we're older, we're adults, and, and usually the people that were getting into this game, um, they've played other games before, and they kind of take to it, um, you know, very quickly. And, they, and I think part of that is not just their background in playing other games, but how well written the rules are, um, how clearly the the movement phase, you know, not even movement phase, but the, the movement aspects of this game, maneuvering, marching, charging, um, they are so fluid and they're so uh, simply and elegantly written that there's not a lot of ambiguity. Um, I, I don't know about your tournament experience, Brett, but I know for me and the Warhammer Fantasy tournaments, all the time we would pause we'd go we'd dig through books we'd ask a to to come over and it's the opposite experience that i've had with song of ice and fire where you could go a whole tournament without ever involving the to um because the rules are just that simple and well written yeah i i completely agree and um as i've gotten older I went back, you know, for nostalgia and read through some of the fourth and fifth edition Warhammer, which was what I, what brought me into Warhammer. And you kind of realize how many things you played wrong. Um, I think the, the interest when you're a younger person, you know, is let's, let's charge, let's get into close combat, kill stuff. And, you know, you miss some of the very finesse things. Like um, I didn't really give much consideration or thought to using chaff in, uh, you know, in, in Warhammer fantasy, um, just things like this, they, they, they make sense as you get older, but as you put it, the rule book is a very, very strong selling point for this game because the way I like to describe it is that it's easy to pick up, but it's difficult to master. And I think, mm-hmm. I think when you make your rules as clear as Simon does, when you make the game as relatively simple as it is, you're actually adding some level of complexity because if the rules are so basic, if the rules are so easy to understand and, you know, you can learn the game in two or three demos, what's going to set apart a good, a really good top tier player from, you know, a mid tier player or a beginner. And that's, that's going to be the understanding of those rules fundamentally and how they work into the game modes, into the units, into the tactics board. And all of those things come together. All of those elements on their own are, are very simple. You can, you can do it. I mean, a beginner can say, Hey, I'm engaged with Knights of Castle Rock. The smartest thing that I can do is use the horse to take a retreat so that I can charge back into combat. But as you mature and, and develop in the game and as the strategies get a little bit more complex, you know, you have to, you kind of realize that it's not necessarily that simple because your opponent can counter the things that you do. And uh, 
you know, there's a very specific tempo and a, a priority of things that need done. And if you don't respect that tempo and you don't respect that priority, then you're not going to get the most out of the game. Whereas as you get more seasoned, you can see those mistakes happen. You can see, and I'm using really simple examples here, of course, but you can see that type of thing happen, like the activation order of combat units. Like, okay, you activated this unit that probably wasn't the one that you should activate because now I can set this trap or I can set this body blocking that I want to do or I can put myself in a more favorable position because I know that the tactics board is done. I know what cards you have in hand. There's no way that you can turn to face me. So when I move this unit to your, your flank, they're going to be there until next round when I'm going first and I have assault orders. And all of that happened because I completely understand the game and it's just a tiny little mistake that you made by activating the wrong combat unit at the wrong time has now probably cost you that combat unit. It's a very long way of saying easy to, easy to read, difficult to master, right? Oh, absolutely. And because, you know, you look at Warhammer Fantasy um, and, and just, just when you were performing, you know, a maneuver or a march in that game, um, you'd have to wheel, you'd have to take into account, you know, how many inches am I pivoting and turning here? And then how many can I move forward? And then I got to pivot again. Um, and it was just extra steps and it was more complicated to achieve almost the same result that you get from a song of ice and fire where it's pivot on your center, move, pivot again. And, you know, even though it's the rules are simpler in the song of ice and fire, the actual potential, uh, places you could go with your maneuver are higher than they would be in, in a game like Warhammer Fantasy where, you know, you'd have to wheel completely around or you'd have to turn around uh, and, and, you know, move backwards, turn around again. And it, you know, overcomplicated uh, what could have been a very simple rule set. And I think um, when you combine that with the alternating activations, Simon really, really has something special. And, you know, between you and me, if Warhammer Fantasy was re-released today, just as the same rules were for 8th edition or 7th edition, uh, I'd prefer Song of Ice and Fire. Uh, it, the rules are the selling point for me because I enjoy the game more, the games are faster, um, and they're more interesting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, ironically, we've matured probably as players because we've gotten older. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. that the developers have gotten older, but in, in, in its own right, wargaming has matured because when we were younger, you didn't have a ton of options. Now, if you go to a game store, your brain is exploding with the number of tabletop miniature games that there are available to you. And mm -hmm. I think, I think as the industry matured and, I don't, I don't want to make this a bash Warhammer fest, right? Because I still like Warhammer. I have lizard men that I paint periodically. I love them. But um, when you look at that Warhammer rulebook compared to the more modern games that you see now, for me, it's such a huge turnoff to have a 400-page rulebook that I need to learn. And I think Simon, from the mature perspective, took the approach of the less rules that we have, the, the, the more condensed and simple that we can make this, that's less exploits. And I don't want to pick on anybody from Warhammer, but I mean, we know as guys who played at least somewhat competitively, there were exploits, like very <clears throat> bad exploits. Like, oh, in the fine print, you almost needed to be a lawyer to completely yeah. 
decode and determine everything that happened in a game of Warhammer. Now, that's not to say A Song of Ice and Fire is perfect, but compared to a Warhammer document where you need all of this crap to play, like a 500-page rulebook, an army codex that's 125 pages, the most recent FAQ, and bring your family lawyer with you, you know, <laughs> for those arguments that are going to happen. Um, but you said it very well. I don't, I mean, there, there's maybe been the occasional raise your hand, hey, can you verify this? But as far as the arguments that I saw with Warhammer Fantasy Battle, like knockout, dragout argument fights over things that were not in the FAQ and that, that just weren't clear, um, Treason of Zinch, I cast it on Chariot does it take the value of the chariot that has zero leadership and automatically fails or does it take the lowest value of one of the troops? You know, that's something like that. That was like a huge fight at a lot of tournaments mm -hmm. that I went to and there was no clear answer. So someone left feeling very salty, but as Simon simplifies these rules, again, it lends to the tactics board, the tactics cards, list building and how you play the game in the objective. I think they've given plenty of elements for you to master besides just movement, charging, and dice. There's so much more to this game than what's on the surface that you can turn it into what I believe is the most competitive, best competitive game that there is because it's so fair. Like it's boiled down to such a simple level that it's really just that fair. And of all of the war games that you can play, I think this one, the mo it comes down the most to the player skill. There's not as much dumb luck, you know, stupid spells that wipe whole units and things like this. It comes down to player skill at the end of the day. I completely agree. And when I think about, um, like, when I think about the things that we discussed on Warhammer Fantasy, like back and forth as players versus, like, the, the rules that we discuss for Song of Ice and Fire, you can almost preemptively discuss rules questions before they ever come up in Song because um, most players are aware of the, the controversial, I guess, rules. Uh, like, for example, uh, in our game at Gen Con, Brett, you brought up, um, uh, what was it, um, now his watch has ended, and cold hands. No, that's not what it was. It was. Um, oh, help me remember. It's when John's unit can attack. I think it shall not end until my death. Yes, yes, that's the one. So yep. that's where you you can make an attack, and um, you brought it up before we even started playing. Uh, whether or not you were going to be able to do swift strike, yep. and retreat, and then get a ranged attack. Yeah, and, and, and we brought it up, and, and you decided, you know, so you said, you know what, it's, it's, it's probably not fun, it's probably not fair, so, you know, I'm not even going to do it. Let's just, you know, let's just agree before we even start playing uh, that I can't do it. And th because there's a few examples like that in song, um, you can do that with your opponent. You can sit down, and, and, and I've done it a couple times before. Uh, I saw someone who was playing Victorian Greyjoys with Newt, um, before the chain of vassal, and, and just before we even started the game, I said, "Hey, are you aware uh, that assault orders will not work on Newt's unit?" And he said, "No, I, I've always played it that way that it, that it does work." And we, and then, you know, explained why it wasn't a tactics card, 
targeting Newt's unit. It was a tag zone, and, and uh, the TO agreed, and, and we went about our game, you know, preemptively addressing things before they even happen. And I think that's something you can do in song because there's so few issues. You can, you can get it out of the way uh, before you even start the game. Uh, with other games, it's, it's, you know, it's not usually like that. Um, but I, I want to hear from you. What do you think are some of the best things about the rulebook uh, for Song of Ice and Fire? Not necessarily compared to even Warhammer Fantasy or any other game, but, but for Song itself, how the rulebook is set up um, and how it lends itself to getting new players into the game with a good understanding. Yeah, I think it just, you know, as we've mentioned, it comes down to that simplicity. As a, so I'm imagining that I'm a new player. And I mean, in fairness, I was disconnected from war games for several years. And I, I did my demo. It was relatively easy to understand. And then I read the rule book. And, and when I was a beginner in 2019, you know, I felt like this was, I felt like this was great. It was a relief. You know, they directed me to the app, which is another thing we'll get into. The app is just an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I looked at the rule book and, you know, you open it up. I'm looking at it right now. Um, this version of the rule book is 36 pages and it has art. It has charts, specific diagrams. If you just comb down through those 36 pages, you see that there's just, there's not bloat. There's not unnecessary no. words. And if you um, took out the artwork, it's probably only maybe 12 pages. Yeah, because there's, I mean, page 35 and 36. 35 is the credits. Page 36 is like a rules summary, which was a, a brilliant add to this mm-hmm. version of the book. Honestly, it's just how simple it is. It's not, it's not intimidating. It's not something where I sit and think, oh, my gosh, am I going to spend a whole evening reading this? How much of this am I reading that's, you know, fluff, and I love fluff, but I like the fact that this game sets the fluff aside from the core rules of the game. If you want the fluff, you have the show, you have the books. There's mm-hmm. fluff text on the cards, which gives the, the characters and the units a little bit more character feel, but there's not a whole bunch of fluff bloat inside of this book. So that was one thing I appreciated. I did love the fluff and the stories in Warhammer. But um, when a unit is being described, you know, I didn't necessarily need to know why <laughs> why the Lizardmen are the protectors of the Flan. Because if, if I wanted to know that, I could have read it in the fluff. When I'm reading the, the rules, I don't need to know that. You know, it's, 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 it is for some people, but maybe it's not for everyone. But overall, I think the I think it's very well laid out. It's not intimidating to look at. It's not a huge document. And anything that's going to be a little bit more difficult to understand that you might need a visual, they provide you with very nice visuals. So for me, it's just, it's not intimidating. It's simple. It's easy. Yeah. And it's, and it's all on their website in, you know, in a, in a very easy way to go and find and know that you are looking at the latest version. Cause I tell you when, when Brandon and I played uh, two years ago, we cracked open the Lannister vs. Stark starter set, and we just grabbed the rule book right out of there and played it. And you know, it was it was all the old rules. It was all the old uh, panic rules. 
um, where, you know, you take as much damage as you fail to testify. Um, and it wasn't until our second or third game that we, you know, found out that there, oh, there's an updated rule book and it's, you know, online and for us to access. So uh, any new players out there, um, anytime you're, you're getting into a game, it's good to make sure that you're looking at the latest version of the rules and the latest version of the cards. And there's been um, some updates, and I think we can all agree that those updates to this game have been for the better. Um, the 2021 update in particular from the 1.6 uh, version of the game, I think really put this game into the correct balanced state uh, when it comes to tactics cards, unit stats, unit abilities. Um, we briefly, Brandon and I, played the 1.6 version of the game, and then we got the Vision in the Flames uh, at the end of, I believe it was 2020. And then going into 2021, we got the 2021 version of the game, and my goodness, uh, had it not been for that, I'm not sure uh, we would have stuck around with the game for very long. But that 2021 version of the game, I mean, oh my gosh, chef's kiss. Like, it has been fantastic. What, what's your opinion on that, Brett? You know, there's elements. There's elements about the 1.6 version <laughs> that, that I do miss. There's elements <laughs> that I don't. And in the end, the things that I could miss about the game are far outweighed by the things that I, that I don't necessarily miss. Now, that's not to say that, like, 1.6 was this terrible version, but this game just – it just continues to mature. And it seems mm-hmm. like I, – I think that the game's developers are, are very in tune with the community and very in tune with the game. I think that they listen to conversations and pay a lot more attention than anyone would think because it seems like every time, like, there's an FAQ and a RADA, an update – you know, some, some level of a patch. It's like, it's always on point with what the community is giving feedback on. Um, And it's almost so much though, like you can almost predict what's going to change. You can almost predict that because not just what people are buzzing about in the community, because everybody's going to have their opinion, but it's, it's what the overall consensus is and it's what's proven by tournament plays and, and things like this. So you, you take units and you just know that nobody's ever fielding that unit. And it's like, I've never seen this unit. I've never seen anyone play it. I've never heard anyone talk about it as far as it being a competitive choice. And when I go searching the Reddits, the discords and everywhere to try to find what's lists that people are playing, I never see this unit. You can almost reliably predict that at some level that unit's going to get looked at. And I think that's a really positive thing because it just, it just shows that they're in tune. And I don't think that a lot of games do that. I think that a lot of games maybe have this stubbornness and maybe this um, kind of developer's bias where they designed this unit, they know what they intended for it to be used. And it's, I'm not trying to say bad things about any other game. But to some extent, I feel like there are games and developers that kind of gaslight the community. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, you're just not doing this right. And I don't think that you get that from A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, and I think it's a very positive. I think so, too. And, and 
Oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but um, uh, well, nah, the thought left me. <laughs> That's okay. Um, this is this is a pretty casual show. We're allowed to yeah. show that we're human here and forget things. <laughs> I started I started looking at the artwork in the rule book, and I just got lost. I forgot how uh, how good it is. Um, just yeah. some of these images of like the wall, and it's not what I love too. Um, we get it from a lot of our new players that we have. So everybody's, you know, familiar with the show. And so when they see some of the artwork um, for the characters, uh, they say, wow, that's really how they look in the book. You know, like Musande, uh, she's a little 12-year-old girl. Um, and they're like, wow, that doesn't look like, you know, she looks in the show at all. Um, I love that they, they have stuck with the direction of, of the books, right? They have stuck with the characters, the artwork, everything, true to the source material. Um, it's not it's not based on the HBO Game of Thrones TV show. It's based on Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin. And, like, I love the tie-ins for this game to that source material and how it all it all feels right. Um, now I remember what I was going to say. One of the things that I love about this game, which is that this is a big factor for me when I'm playing a tabletop miniatures game, the things on the table do what they look like they should do. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, yep. Dragons do what dragons look like they should do. Knights with lances do what knights with lances should do, right? Like spearmen are a defensive unit because they look like they should be a defensive unit. Um, mm-hmm. I love that about this game. I think that is one of the things that they have just hit out of the park. Um, especially when it comes to some of the abilities that characters have. And I was just talking about this last night. Uh, Tyrion Lannister, the NCU, for example, has uh, his ability to increase your tactics card hand size by one, um, and he has the ability to to reach for counterplot from your discard pile or from your deck. Um, That is so Tyrion. I mean, if you know any of the story background to... Song of Ice and Fire, and you know Tyrion Lannister, like his the characters in this game play on the table and on the tactics board like their characters would. I, I think that they have really captured that so well. Yeah, I, I I actually totally agree, and I think a lot of that is intent. Um, my understanding is that a number of the elements in this game are passed through George R. R. Martin before they're approved. So. Mm it's not just like getting permission to put this. I don't want to say permission. That's not a nice word. It's not just designing this unit and getting it into the game. They, it needs to, they, they have to make sure that it aligns with what George RR R. Martin's view of what this should be is. And I think that's great. Um, it's actually very interesting. It, it, it almost, it, it makes the beloved author of this series and this, that, that led to this TV show that so many people love and, and he's not that far out of reach, right? There's just a middleman between you and George R.R. R. Martin because you're playing the game and then there's the developers who make the game and they're in direct contact with the guy who created this entire universe. And I think that's actually very cool mm-hmm. when you're looking at that. You're really not that far from basically being in direct contact with this guy. And, and for a lot of people, that's that's unheard of in, in other fantasy settings. Um so I think that's very, very nice. And I, I do think that they, they do 
when they design things, I think they genuinely try to stay with the fluff. And I've been very lucky and privileged enough to work with the, the developers in the past. And I know that they are both very, very like in tune with the lore. And when I've spoken to them, um, you know, back when I played and did some of those things, I, I know from hearing them talk that this is what they're doing. They are definitely trying to stay true to that fluff. And I, I think it's really honorable. And I think, it, I think it's really cool. I think they're doing the game justice for so many reasons. Um, and I mean, even to the point where <laughs> maybe um, it almost handicaps something, but I think that that's okay because it, it fills in with that fluff and not every element of this game is going to be competitive. So just because a fluff choice is maybe not the most competitive thing in the world doesn't mean that, you know, I, I think that it's a positive if they're, they're sticking true to that fluff and to that character. And there's, there's room for that in the game. Not everything has to be a hyper competitive S tier commander and unit. There are people who are playing this game. They're going to play Jamie because they love Jamie. They don't care if Jamie's terrible. Mm -hmm. They don't care if Jamie's overpowered. They're going to play Jamie, whatever version Jamie lands on because they love Jamie. And as long as for that person, as long as Jamie feels like Jamie in the game, then they're happy. And I think that's, I think that's phenomenal. I agree. And like, I think when you have like, Characters release like Oberyn Martell. Um, he he may not seem like the most competitive choice uh, for Martells, but that is a loved character. I mean, everybody everybody I know that loves Martells loves the Red Viper. Um, and he is even though even though he might not be the most competitive choice. Um, boy, does he like look and feel and play like Oberyn Martell. I, I completely agree. We've got like potentially the biggest Oberyn Martell fanboy. I'm I'm the Jon Snow fanboy of this group. <laughs> We've got Dave, who's an Oberyn fanboy. He might chime in. I don't know if he's listening to talk about, you know, where. Oh yeah. Where does where does Oberyn <laughs> land with your expectations of fluff and and how he came out in the wash? Um, I he came out perfect. I I already uh. Uh, a long time ago, messaged Fabio and thanked him for making, in my opinion, all three versions awesome. Uh, that way, I can stay true to my uh, what I had said, where I will never run a Martell army that doesn't have Oberyn in it in some capacity. So, uh, when you have an NCU, that's amazing. In my opinion, uh, the best commander of them all, which is uh, Oberyn. And then you have a, a pretty decent two-pointer just because Expert Duelist is so good. Um, you know, I think uh, it makes taking him in every single list I run super easy. Now, Dave, like, if you're a new player and you're getting into this game and you buy the Martell starter box and, and you love Oberyn Martell, um, why should you stick with Oberyn in, instead of going with, you know, another commander who might have a, a higher rating on a Song of Ice and Fire stats or, or might have what other players consider to be better cards, like, uh, do you need to play the, the, you know, community 
considered best commander with a faction in order to do your best with it? Uh, no, definitely not. Uh, and I stay, uh, I will stand by that, uh, till, you know, I'll die on that hill. Um, I have done the best in my ice and fire career with arguably the lowest rated commanders of all the factions I've decided to play. Um, I don't really count free folk. Uh, I won't, you know, sugarcoat that part. You know, I played Mance, but, uh, I mean, I played, free folk for like two major tournaments and that was it but uh anyone that's been following this show a while knows that i for the most part went from starks to Greyjoy to now uh martell uh in starks it was blackfish and for a very long time blackfish was considered the worst commander but i was constantly uh going three and one uh or taking first place at every event i took him um being uh, Adepticon or anything like that, um, uh, or out in Indy, uh, just a bunch of tournaments. I was either going three and one uh, or getting first. And then I went to Greyjoys, and again, uh, I went to Victorian. Again, I think he's considered the worst commander or one of the worst commanders for Greyjoys. Uh, the stats is always changing, so it's hard to keep up sometimes. Um, Again, for me, I think it, it just comes down to your play style. And then right now, if I'm not mistaken, Oberyn is the worst or second worst commander for Martells. And, uh, yeah, I, it really just comes, to, comes down to what you're comfortable with and what uh, fits your play style. Because um, just because stats says it's not doing well, you have to remember that uh, you know, maybe most people's play style just isn't Oberyn. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. not that, like, super... Because for me, I'm I'm a super aggressive player. Very aggressive. My Blackfish list was a bunch of, bunch of Berserkers, and then I supplemented defense through healing and through Blackfish's, like, set for charge and stuff. Uh, Greyjoys, I... Um, again, super aggressive with Victorian, a bunch of Reavers, uh, and I supplement healing and morale where possible. Uh, and then now with Martells, you know, I'm running Oberyn and Bastard Scrolls, and that unit is a rocket. I'm talking getting away from that unit with how much movement shenanigans Martells have. So you really just have to find your niche, and uh, don't be discouraged if something you're trying out isn't working right away. If you, because uh, for me, um, all three, just incidentally, uh, or uh, like just by coincidence, were all the commanders I liked the best. They were just commanders I thought were awesome, both in um, in the books and by what their play style looked like. And so, and not all of them kind of just fell together. I, I would say uh, Victorian was the easiest for me to kind of get into the groove and do really well with. But Blackfish, I mean, I had so many people telling me, well, why aren't you just running Great John? Like, Great John would just work so much better because Great John has the keywords for Umber and you're running a bunch of Umber units. They didn't really understand what I was trying to do because I had a very... Uh, specific uh, play style and a very specific way I played 
and my, you know, it would trick my opponent almost. You know, they wouldn't expect me to march up with a Rob uh, um, uh, attachment in Berserkers. That was back when you could get a free attack off of the maneuver zone. Um, mm-hmm. And then them, or a free charge, I should say, uh, or one of the two. I don't know. It's been a long time. I could get so many free attacks with the set for charge that they weren't expecting. So most people would like going second or going first on the second round. I would go first on the first round because then I'd march up. It'd allow my opponent to charge me. Knowing I have a set for that maneuver zone away from me, I had another free attack or charge. Um, you know, and by then, even because back then I only ran four combat units and two wolves. And, uh, you know, people back then were like, oh man, only four, only four real combat units. You know, you're going to, you're going to die. But by a lot of times I, they'd have a dead unit by the beginning of round two. And now, you know, it was way in my favor, but just, you know, to kind of circle back, you know, don't let anyone discourage you from a play style that you're determined to thoroughly try out. And mm-hmm. I would say don't give up. Don't give up at all because my blackfish list, once I kind of perfected it, I mean, the thing almost never lost to anything that wasn't Night's Watch. And even Night's Watch, I still had like a 60 70% win rate. Um it's just Night's Watch, you know, was really, you know, because of how aggressive the list was, it was hard for it to crack. But otherwise, I mean, I mean, I maybe have like two losses ever with my Blackfish list that wasn't a Night's Watch. So um, definitely, you know, just if there's something you like, play test it and keep play testing it until you have found a way to make it work uh, and to, you know, what you, what you would prefer. I completely agree. Um, I, I think you can look at stats a couple different ways. And, and one of the ways that I look at, you know, how they have commander rankings is sometimes it can just be learning curve. Um, sometimes a, a character like Victorian, you know, is, is so low because, um, it can be a bit of a learning curve to play a highly aggressive commander, right? There's, there's factors like timing, when you go in, how you balance being, you know, somewhat squishy with being also uh, very aggressive. And the more reps you get with any commander in this game, the better you're going to have a, of a feel for how they play. And playstyle is a factor of many different things, uh, but one of those factors, I think, is risk tolerance. Um, every player has a different risk tolerance. Some players don't like losing units. They, I know a guy who uh, hates when his units die, and so he loves playing units like uh, Tully Shields, where you know he's got a three-up armor, a good morale, he's got shield wall, uh, and, and all he wants to do is just not die. Uh, so his risk tolerance is very low. Um, when I was playing my Great John list for Gen Con, uh, Great John and Cutthroats was a highly aggressive unit, but they also, you know, die to even a slight breeze. Um, so my risk tolerance, at least with that unit in particular, uh, was very high. I was willing to lose that unit every single game early in the game 
as long as they went and made a valuable trade. Uh, Brett, would you agree with the sentiment that um, if you like a particular commander, regardless of where they're ranked on stats, regardless of what other opinions are of that commander, that you can have success with that commander? Oh, I absolutely agree. It's a lot of this is a play style thing, um, depending on how adaptive you are in your play. You know, flex with or, or do with that can can determine your path going forward in the game. Um, I do think I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of rein you both in a little bit um, because we're trying to do beginner focus, and I think we're we're mentioning stats and they. Some, our target audience might not know what that is. Um, so I'll redirect to answer your question, but then I think the next transition we're going to do is to talk about some resources available to these players, and in that we can mention any number of the resources that are available. But to answer your direct question, yes, if you have a play style, if you played a Warhammer Fantasy Battles and you played um, Undead, you played Skaven, you played Orcs and Goblins, that was what you loved then that to me says that you like a high number, kind of low morale, uh, tank and attrition by numbers play style. I'm going to suggest that you play free folk or I'm going to suggest that you play Greyjoys. Um, my reason for that is maybe you love the Lannisters in the show, but you're coming to me and you're saying, this is what I've traditionally done in war games. Or you can even take it to video games. This goes really deep because... I parallel my favorite things in war games to what I do in video games as well. I, when, I, when I play, I love rogues. I love rogues. They're my favorite character. But what is my inclination when I play a rogue? I'm, I'm, I'm buffing like the attack stats the most. So that tells me that I like a glass cannon heavy hitter. If I get buffs and you can buy you know, some hit points, or some attacks, I'm leaning into the attack side. Um, of, of course, I'm going to bolster the defense as much as I can, and that comes in the form of the things that I add to my list, but I like that skirmishing, hard-hitting, glass cannony type. I loved pyromancers, always have, always will. Ranger hunters um, with martels, I'm really enjoying the skirmishers. I like the dervishes. Cutthroats, I love cutthroats. All of these things, they, they draw back to how I play video games and then kind of simultaneously, which is almost, but not necessarily an opposite. When I played Warhammer, I liked chaos warriors and I like chaos demons because I like elite stuff. So that is why I've stubbornly attached to Night's Watch. Night's Watch are your space Marines of, of a song of ice and fire. They're your super elite. You're not going to have big numbers with Night's Watch. Um, I don't actually like conscripts. I know they're good, but I've never liked conscripts. I've, I've always had a bitter taste in my mouth that I'm forced to field conscripts. And, and now I say that if I want to go and be as competitive as possible, I needed to take conscripts in 1.6 and at the beginning of 2021. My resentment for that is reflected so much because my conscripts aren't painted. I refuse to paint them because they're not what I really in my heart of hearts love. I have this whole Night's Watch army that's painted and based really well and no paint on my conscripts. I just can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> so I kind of, in, in a lot of ways, I, I stay true to my fluff for those reasons. But I think you need to 
take all of your fantasy things because everybody here at some level is a little bit of a nerd, right? So channel your fantasy energy, all your nerd energy, video games, war games, whatever you've played, and figure out what speaks to you. And then play that in this game, and you're going to find the most success. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and you're, you're right to keep us on topic, Brett. I think I got us a little off topic. Uh, but let, let's talk about that for a minute. So what are some good resources for new players? Well, to begin with, um, when I unboxed this Martell box, Obviously, I've been around the game for a while, but I was very excited to see that they put a pamphlet in there that directs you to the CMON website and it directs you to the War Council app. Those are two of the best resources that you can use, and all of it's free. The app is called War Council. If you didn't get the little pamphlet drop-in or you haven't heard War Council app, it's free. It's on iPhone. It's on Android. It updates relatively in line with the patches that come or any FAQ and errata that comes. But the other website, uh, it's fairly easy to remember, A-S-O-I-A-F, the, for A Song of Ice and Fire, dot com. That's your other website that is full of free resources. It's going to have your new cards that you can print off or however you want to handle updated cards. That's there for you to look at. The rule book is there. There's, I think there's tournament resources. Um, I'm just going to go to the website right now, so I'm not lying. I'm on it as well. Let's see. You've got the latest FAQ on here, the 2021 Master Change Log. Um, If you've lost your secret mission or your objective cards, or they got bent, or, you know, your your copies are just wearing out, uh, you can print new copies. Um, It's rare that there's a game that gives you so many free resources, Mm -hmm. Uh, free free rulebook, free cards, to print, um, and all the tournament guidelines are all in the same location. I mean, this is uh, yeah. this is pretty great. And articles. There's even a little bit of tactics articles in here as well. There's a little bit of news articles and then some specialized articles. And, and again, you know, the developers, I think that they enjoy engaging the community. And I think what they put into these articles is their way of talking to us. And uh, I think it's really cool. Um, So those are two great resources. Um, The others that I'll suggest, and I know that social media isn't for everybody. So I'm not telling you that you have to go get Facebook and you have to join some of these groups or you're going to be lost. There's so many sources of social media that talk about this game. There's Reddit. There's Discord. There's Facebook, which has a big, massive, I call it the big Facebook page, um, it is a Song of Ice and Fire miniature war gamers. It has close to 12,000 members now. Then there's a smaller version of that that's the a Song of Ice and Fire tabletop miniatures game. And then you've got specific Facebook pages for each house. So if you're on Facebook and you're a Free Folk player, join the Free Folk group. That's where you'll find like-minded Free Folk players to chat with. Share your paints, your, your paintings there. Share your list ideas there, ask for advice. And that goes for every other form of social media, on Reddit, on Discord, wherever you go, there are channels dedicated to that. And uh, what we can do is uh, create a list of resources and we can um, get that pinned onto the small council page 
So if you go on Facebook to the Small Council radio page, we'll have that posted up, some of those resources for you. As far as like what channels on Discord, the names of those channels, I don't read it, so maybe someone can help. I strictly do Discord and Facebook for now. Uh, do, do you have any input? Uh, what, what else would you suggest, Luke? No, I think you nailed it. Um, and I think that, you know, when you talk about what to look for what is the latest um, rules, uh, you can trust what you're seeing from the CMON websites, right? That's, that's where you're going to find the latest. That's where you're going to know what is official, um, what's on their songoficeandfire.cmon.com um, and what's on War Council. That's going to be the latest and greatest. Um, so anytime you're, you know, if you're a new player, you're cracking open your starter box um, and you're wondering if your cards are up to date, if you've got the latest uh, rule set, um, those are the first places to turn, right? And, and um, speaking of which, you know, if you're getting ready to play your first game, um, there's, there's quite a few different list builders out there. Um, Brett, where, where are the different places that a new player can go to put a list together for their first game. So of course, in, within the app, um, within the app, there's a, a way to build lists. Now here's a, here's a tip from me on navigating this app. When you click create army on the app, you'll choose your faction. There's going to be a section that's units to use. So this is like something that's integrated inside the app to where you can go into your faction and add into it a quantity of units that you've purchased. This is kind of like a collection tracker. The, if that's not what you want to do, because I'm kind of a turd, I didn't, I don't do it. So <laughs> if you if you click the box all units and then you select which faction, you'll be able to select from every legal unit in the game. That because the app is the official source for like tournaments and everything. If it's in the app, it's tournament legal. If it's not in the app as an official CMON tournament, it is not tournament legal. So this is your source for that. So click all units, click your house, name your list, whatever you want to name it. Uh, I am very encourage you to, I very much encourage you to name it something funny and clever based on what's inside that list. Um, my old, my old Roos uh, Lannister list was called Panic at the Disco. So something like that, it's fun. Name your list something funny. Um, and then, then you'll go into the app and it's fairly easy to navigate. You'll, once you click what house I've pulled up Starks, you'll see the commander. You can select your army's commander. It can be a neutral commander or a Stark commander. And it's like, it's relatively easy. Like it's pretty easy to navigate if you just mess around with it a little bit. When you go to the add units section, you've got the unit symbol in the app that parallels with what's on the card for that type of unit. Now, some of this might be a little bit confusing because I promise on the next episodes and moving forwards, we're starting with the rule book and we're really explaining all of this stuff to you. Um, just not going to make any assumptions. All of this stuff, we're going to explain what, what it means. But in the, in, the, in the app, just play around with the list builder, play around with different attachments, and it does the math for you. Uh, it's got a points tracker up at the top, and it generally is very good at catching any mistakes. So if you were to select Eddard as your commander, it would prevent you from selecting Eddard NCU. He would be grayed out. Um, things like this. You wouldn't be able to select 
Jockin, Mysterious Prisoner, if you didn't already have Arya or Eddard in the list. So it, I think it's helpful. Um, so there's obviously the app. Then there's um, a Song of Ice and Fire Builder.com, which is run by On the Table Gaming. That's another great resource. It's on a website. Um, it's A-S-O-I-A-F Builder.com. Um, I'm going to plug that in to make sure that it hasn't changed or anything. Yes, O-I-A-F. Yeah, that worked for me. Oh, I can't. I, well, I can't leave. <laughs> I tried to. I tried to punch it in to my um, telephone controls here. Uh, A-S-O-I-A-F Builder. Yeah, and it's similar. It's going to give you those tools to build the list. It's going to prevent you from making illegal lists. Um, it should have an importer to where if you're playing digitally on Tabletop Simulator, you should have a way to save that list and then import it. Uh, it's a very nice, handy tool. Um, we're not even going to go into Tabletop Simulator right now. <laughs> a Song of Ice and Fire Builder.com is a great resource. Um, and then there's a Song of Ice and Fire, ASOIAF-stats.com. That also has its own list builder and its way to import. You can create a username and try to get your player score high by, you know, competing with people. Um, that's a game within a game. It's, it's also a very nice resource. I think they have suggested lists and you'll hear people referencing all the time. People will say, well, according to stats and you're this new player and you're like, well, what the hell does that mean? Stats. I'm going to the Song of Ice and Fire website and I don't see football stats on my favorite character. I don't see his win percentage. I don't see his quarterback rating. I don't see any of this stuff. What are these stats and where are they coming from? Where's ESPN for a Song of Ice and Fire? Um, that's a, a, it's, it's a group of guys. It's primarily Carlo and Mickey. They're a couple of uh, UK guys, very nice blokes. Um, they're both pleasant to talk to and generally helpful to the community. Um, they've created this website that with their big computer brains that goes way above my head. They track all kinds of neat stuff. <laughs> they, they track pick rates. They create a score called an ELO score based on not just the win rate, but how well that something with an ELO score performs within any number of set parameters. Um, I'll let them explain that to you. <laughs> but it's, mm -hmm. another, it's, it's a resource that you can use. It has, a, it has a list builder, and it has a way to import those lists if you're playing digitally. And I think they've got a tab as well that's recommending list choices based on their data and what their number shows is strong. Um, I'll let them handle all of that hard math. My, I'm famous for my bad math. Like, just... <laughs> I tell you, Whoa. my favorite thing about stats is actually the tournaments tab. Uh, the tournament software in stats, as far as I know, is the only uh, community available tournament software that follows the CMON scoring and also uh, will simulate the commander pick. So, you know, for your two list format, uh, letting players kind of pick those commanders in secret, uh, generating the scenarios at random, and, and just in general keeping up with the score and helping facilitate tournaments. Um, and if, you know, if you're a new player looking for tournaments in your area, uh, you can drop down the future tournaments uh, tab to show, and you can look and see where in your, you know, your area uh, events might be taking place in the future. 
Yeah. And I, I think there's probably a number of other resources, and I, I'm not trying to be elitist by selecting the app, the, the CMON website, uh, On the Table Gaming, and then A Song of Ice and Fire staff. I'm sure that there are others. There's a plethora of information, resources, um, podcasts, content creators, battle reports. There's, the, this community has grown so much in such a rapid in such a rapid period when I was getting into the game, even going into like 2020, there were so few content creators, so few, um, you didn't have a lot of choices. Now there's tons, which by the way, thank you for listening to us. Cause at this point we're, we're just having a not friendly chat at this point, but, um, I think this is a little bit of the introductory. So I'm going to circle back to the very beginning of the podcast. Let me, let me tell you, now that you know who, Lou and, who Luke and I are and who Dave is and that we like to run our mouth and go off topic, this, we're going to call this segment The Watchers on the Wall. We're here primarily for new players. We're going to break down some of the things that aren't initially obvious. While we do believe that the rulebook is simple, there are still things that you could use some help with. Those are the things that we're going to start cracking into on the next episode. The next episode we're going to do, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's been done on a podcast. We're going to do an actual rule book deep dive where we go through the rule book and not, we're not going to read you the rule book. It's not an audio book, but we're going to break the rule book down some of those things. And we're going to tell you exactly what it means. And we're going to show you some of the trippings that you can get into mm-hmm. is a just some examples to, to highlight, to, to foreshadow that. Is a pivot a move? Does it count as a move? Is a shift a move for certain effects? What does targeting mean? Does final strike target the defender and the attacker? Or does it just target the attacker? Things like this. We're going to start to get into that as much as we can. We're going to break that stuff down for you. And we are going to... Um, really try to help you out as much as we can and focus this, this podcast on making you more comfortable with the game. Yeah. I love that because I tell you, there are little nuances uh, even in this rule book that, you know, the more, you know, the more you're going to have in your toolbox when you step into your games. And I, I love the ideas for these topics, you know, even, even some veteran players, uh, you know, there may be little nuggets uh, that we can unearth for them that, that they can add to their toolbox as well. I think there are, and I, I hope that we do, because there are, there are things like even, even what you and I discussed last night, which we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. Um, just a spoiler for any veterans that might be listening, listening. Excuse me. Luke and I are relatively sure that if you're inside a stake and you perform a shift that exits the stakes, um, we're not 100% sure that you take damage because you didn't perform an action inside it because shift isn't an action. And you didn't move into it, which is that they're very specific about moving into it. So we think think you can shift out of stakes and not take damage, right? Isn't that what we kind of came to the conclusion of? Absolutely. as long as that shift other people as well. Yeah, as long as the shift isn't tied to like a ranged attack. Like if it's just a shift like through Varus or through a tactics card, yeah, I'm I'm 
certain you can shift out of stakes as long as it's not tied to an action. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the nuances that we're going to teach. I mean, I learned things like that. Just a, another really quick example. I was like last week years old when I took notice of just like a very small print. Dragons only ignore terrain when they're maneuvering or marching. So they can't charge you over a palisade. Or retreat over you. Yep. It's a very interesting things. Um, maybe I'm just dumb, but no. I was like, yeah, I was like last week years old because I think a lot of people have played it that way. Like they just ignore the terrain. And that's exactly the trap thing that you get into, right? You, when you're a veteran player, uh, you, you take reading word for word uh, for granted. You, you start to play things the way you've always played them, the way that, you know, at least in the situations and scenarios as they've come up for you. And, and we've always played, you know, stakes and dangerous terrain as, yeah, if you're moving around in it, through it, out of it, whatever, uh, you're taking damage because the, those are the scenarios that had always come up for us uh, with the introduction of Martels. Um, and this is the great thing about new players is they read the rules. They go back and they want to read it word for word and they want to figure out exactly what it says to make sure they're playing it right. They can discover uh, things that veteran players have forgotten or taken for granted. Uh, so, you know, your new players can often give you new perspectives on the game. Um, and if you're a new player out there and, and you're taking, you know, word for word what a veteran player says, um, yeah, just, just be willing to read and learn for yourself. Uh, look forward to going to that in the future. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, I, I, think, I think I actually have to kind of tie this one up um, because I've got to get Eris ready for school and I've got to take the dogs to the groomer. But um, yeah, as I mentioned, we're going to, we promise the very next, the next segment of this with you and I, we're going to, we're going to start tackling that rule book and we're going to focus on some of those things. And then we're going to move forward from there. Essentially like we are taking this journey with you guys as beginners. So once we go through the rule book, we'll develop into how do you get guys into the game? How how to do demos, um, resources to grow your community, um, and then once we go through some of that stuff, we can start to talk about the different branches you can go. Are you going to be a campaign player, a fluff player, um, a casual player, or are you wanting to venture into tournament play? And we'll tell you how to do all of those things. Awesome. Thanks, Brett, and thank you, Dave, for having us. Yeah, it's Dave. Uh, he's probably, he's, maybe he's fallen asleep or he's catching up on some housework after his long shift. Um, I do, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I think you're an excellent person to to have take this journey because of some of the growth that you've done for your community. And it's impressive that you jumped into the game with this little you know, as little playing as you did and you were able to come to Gen Con with some international heavy hitters and, and take away the win. So I think it, it's a testament for how, how well you've adapted to this game. So I really appreciate you being willing to pay some of that learning forward to the community and, uh, you know, grow the game. That's ultimately the goal, and it should be everybody's goal is to grow this game. I completely agree. <laughs> and thanks thanks for the kind words. You know, it took – Took some luck uh, to get there to the end to the final, but uh, man, I, I I tell you, my favorite 
anything from nationals is not is not uh, the trophy. It's it's honestly the people that I met and something I look forward to from these new players uh, as we take the journey with them is you know I hope that you make friendships. I hope you learn a lot, not just about the game, but you learn a lot about yourself uh, from playing. Um, I don't know. I think it's a Mark Twain quote, but it's, uh, you, you know, you can learn more in an hour of play with someone than you can in a year of conversation. And it's true. The, the, the type of person that you are comes out in your play. Um, and something to, to, you know, be excited about is meeting good friends. Some of the best friends I had, I, I have now, I've been through gaming. <laughs> it's so true. They're, I think I think they're basically my only friends. I'm, I'm chiming in on that one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna fully relate to that one. The longest term friend I have is a Warhammer friend, yes. and then after that, the rest are people that I met through the gaming community. I of course have other friends outside of it, but I totally identify more with my gamer friends than like coworkers, like the the co technicians, co engineers, and things like that. Like yeah. Yeah, you guys, it's cool, but outside of work, I like to talk about games and stuff, so I this is my crowd. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, it was really nice to chat with you, buddy. We'll have uh, – Dave will close this off, but uh, for those of you listening, thanks for listening to us ramble a little bit, and we hope to see you join us on the next segments where we actually, like, break down some of the rules of the game. And stay on topic. <laughs> thanks, yeah. Brett. All right, see you, buddy. See you, bud. Bye-bye, guys. still here why hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.